This is the KOW Philly Soccer Show. I'm KOW's Greg Orlandini. This week, Adam Kahn from the Philly Soccer Page joins me to break down the union's recent play. On the phone with me, just me and him this week, because Mike is uh, out somewhere enjoying himself. Mike Cervetti, my usual co-host, but it's uh, me and Adam Kahn on the phone. As I said, how are you today, Adam? I'm doing all right. Are you are you implying we are not enjoying ourselves here? Oh, I think we kind of are. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> try our best. Sure. Um, so last night or whenever you're listening to this, the union went down to Atlanta and lost pretty pretty badly. I, w- I would say, and it's kind of we're, we're starting to head into the uh, the twilight of the season. Another year out of the playoffs after making it last year. Uh, and we I just feel like we've gone over so many of the same things this year. It's it's it to kind of start right you know, doing a putting a wrap on things. I feel like we're just gonna keep doing it. Just keep going over the same issues because a lot of those issues never changed. This is true. This is true. There has not been there has not been a lot of change and in fact there's been almost a a notable lack of change, specifically when the transfer window closed. And that was, I, I think that was telling more than anything that kind of went on this year. That was the most telling thing that Ernie Stewart and Jim Curtin kind of surveyed the land and said, no, nah, there's nothing here that's going to help us right now. Or there's nothing we, we care to do right now that, that we feel is going to be beneficial. And we're just going to kind of lock our eyes on the horizon and, start getting ready for next year. At least that was the, me- I mean, I don't know whether the message you can take away from that because, I mean, teams made moves around the, around the union. Yeah, that, absolutely they did. And I, a lot of teams made moves and a lot of teams made, you know, significant moves, um, far more significant than the unions last year when they were trying to shore up their team for a playoff run. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I think the, the lack of movement at the transfer window just reinforced the the sort of idea that um, exactly as you said, this season was viewed from the top as um, already winding up because otherwise there's, there's little logic to even waiting till the end of the window to bring someone in when there were some clear holes. And uh, I, I think the the biggest problem is, is that, you know, for management, for Jim Curtin, for Ernie Stewart, you can't say, yeah, obviously we're throwing in the towel here and we're looking to the future because there's a lot of season left. And so it sort of reinforced the gap between, um, you know, the club and the fans where the fans aren't quite sure if the club is being straightforward with them um, because it's hard to see these these process-oriented results that Stewart talks about um, when they're not showing up in the field yet. So uh, I, think, I think that's probably the, the biggest storyline is the union are sort of out of, out of reasons not to have a competitive team on the field. Um, and the last three games of the season are going to show that as of right now, they, they don't seem to have one and they need to by March of next year. The other big concern for me is the press conferences. I guess it was last week where uh, Jim Curtin was, I wouldn't say he was getting hit, but he was, he was getting pushed pretty, pretty well on the fact of playing younger guys. I mean, you know, starting to get guys on the field, guys like Austin Trusty, guys, you know, getting Derek Jones more minutes with the with the with the senior team. Uh Andrew Najem, you know, a guy that plays a position that they need and 
you really need to start evaluating him in in kind of real game situations. And he kind of he said at least those three players or, or you know those players were not going to feature. Uh, this was against Chicago, a game they won, and that that's all on good. But it, you won that game. It's kind of so what you're you're rolling. You know your 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 season's kind of ebbing away. You're looking towards the next season. You talk about youth. You talk about developing guys, and you're not kind of getting some of these younger guys a chance late on in the season. Yeah, and I'll actually tell you, I I am I am surprisingly okay with that. And although I don't think that that anyone um, at the club that I've heard, and you know, I could be wrong. I don't don't hear everything that comes out of the club. I don't think anyone at at the club has made has made the case the way they should. Um, or the way that to me feels most honest, which is that those guys like Najem, like Derek Jones, like Austin Trusty, they're playing, um, they're playing down there in Bethlehem and the union get to see them every week and have a good idea of where they are and, and how they're moving up. And, you know, they've already seen that when they moved Jones up a little too quick, uh, it kind of backfired on him, and he's, he's hit a wall. And, and I think that, the way they're looking at it is is from a different perspective, which is those guys are, are very low risk. You know, we, we leave them down in Bethlehem, they develop, we bring them up for preseason, we bring them up at the beginning of next year and maybe, you know, see if we can throw them into U.S. Open Cup games, something like that. Um, but but they're going to be here next year. We're, we're pretty sure, you know, there's no real reason to get rid of any of those guys. Whereas the rest of the team, the current roster, the current first team roster, those are the ones that, you really have questions about bringing a lot of those guys back. And it's because of the performances you've seen this season. I mean, you've got to have real questions about some of the guys who took steps forward last year, who took steps back this year. And a lot of the guys who, um, you know, didn't, didn't deliver to the level that, that they needed to for this team to be competitive throughout the, the 2017 season. I think, I think it's fair for Jim Curtin and Ernie Stewart to say, we want to see those guys a few more times. And and see if if there's any reason that we should try to bring them back, or if there's you know some other team that might be willing to trade and at least take their salary off our books. That's an interesting perspective, and and like you said, if the team kind of came out and said that, um, I think most people would. I don't think people would love it, but I think people would kind of right. <laughs> grudgingly agree with that logic. I mean, there is a logic to that because. Uh, you know, you have some guys that are on pretty decent contracts, your 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 seniors and uh uh Albergs and guys like that, who like you said are real question marks if they're gonna be back next year. And and I, I think probably they won't, honestly. At least a couple of them won't be. But you know, if if you kind of broach that, like you got guys in the shop window that maybe you could use as transfer bait. You have guys that you want to see if they could in the last three, four games, make a push and kind of carve out a spot for them, make it, you know, justify their existence basically on, on this, on this roster. Right. That's no, that that's an interesting perspective. And I don't think it's one a lot of people thought about, but again, like you said, if they, if that's the team's idea and you know, it probably is at this point, you know, it, you can, you can express that because you're right. I mean, the guys like guys like the and, and and Jones, they are low risk. You're not spending a ton of money on them. Uh, uh, things like that. Um, let me let me ask you this. I mean, because yeah. when you look at the guys who played, the guys who play Wednesday night, you know, the the typical lineup: Craval, mm-hmm. 
Ilsenio, Alberg, one of those guys is going to be in there with, with, and you can kind of fill in the rest of the names pretty easily. Um, you know, there are only a couple, couple of rotation spots at fullback, things like that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, of, of those names, who do you think has value in the league? And this is, this is something, you know, that people bring up in the PSP comments after a lot of games, you know, who, who would make, who would even make the Atlanta roster from the union roster? Mm. And I think more generally, just who who has value within the league on the Union roster right now? And I think Alberg is one of those guys where I was a little surprised he didn't play more last night. Yeah, just because he's he's someone that scores goals, I and th- that's always a valuable commodity. And I think uh, no matter what, you know, someone someone out there, or even the Union on a on a you know a, a reasonable friendly contract, you bring a guy like that back, like that back, and if he's willing to to take you know, minutes off the bench, then that's that's a valuable asset. I think there there could be a coach or a GM or, or whatever that looks at Alberg and says, yeah, he's a little bit of a head case, but then looks at his stats and his, you know, his base, like, he, you know, he has like the best goal per minute rating on the union by, by, by probably far uh, and goals per games played and all, all those metrics. Um, I, I think, there's probably a guy out there that would look at that, look at some, you know, kind of drill deep into some of the statistics with Alberg and say, he could be a guy I could use. He could be a guy I could kind of fashion into what I'm doing. And, you know, I've, I've said this ad nauseum, he's not like the biggest system player, but if you get a coach out there, it's a little more, you know, tactically fluid for, you know, if that's a good term, and would be willing to kind of, work with Alberg and kind of fit him in into something. I think he would be a guy that has value. Um, you know, Harris Maduni, I think he's, he, he comes back. I think he's probably, you know, one of the brighter spots of the union. I, I don't think he's a guy that they would get rid of because he, he fills a need and he does it really well and all that. Um, El Senio, I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's kind of on the, you know, he's getting on the other side of 30, He's got a lot of miles on him. I, I don't know how much value he would have. I think anybody you kind of talked about, you know, Warren Creval, there's, you know, a thousand guys in MLS like Warren Creval. A nice guy, real, you know, he, he does he does a job for you out there, but he's he's not, nothing he does is particularly unique within MLS. I mean, there's, you could write, you know, there's th- three, four guys on every MLS team that are kind of like what Warren Creval is. Yeah, I mean, if Creval leaves, he'll probably get signed somewhere because, yeah, uh, you know he's he, people. People know what you get from him. I think. Right. Yeah. He's, he's. I think there's always a chance he becomes like a Michael Lahoud and he steps down a level. But it. Yeah. It certainly seems like if you if you give him parameters to play within, mm-hmm. he can play within those parameters. Just don't ask him yeah. to do things he's not good at. Yeah, I th- I think of anybody for transfer or, or trade value or anything like that. It, w- it would be Alberg just because he puts the ball in the net and he he might be the most natural to do it that that's ever played for the Union. Yeah, I mean, if you if you are a team that that has a lot of possession, and if you're a team that has a lot of possession late in games, and you just want to bring someone in for those moments, you know, the last 15 minutes when you're camped out in the other team's half, just trying to get that that elusive goal, then then Albert seems like a really good option to send on. If if you're a team that's not going to have the ball much, or if you're a team that um, you know uses a counter press and does a lot of defending to create your chances. Albert's probably not your guy, at least, uh, you know, you'd have to be a coach that really believes you can, you can change his game a bit because he really hasn't consistently been able to show the, 
the defensive work rate that you would want from a team that's uh, that's not going to have the ball a lot. Yeah, that that that, that makes sense. I, th- I think the biggest crime this this team committed this year was not having that number ten that they needed because you really deprived some guys uh, uh, when you did that. You really like guys like Madunian and Bedoya, and even the guy, even like CJ, needed that guy in the middle all year to to do what they do better. I mean, you have a lot of complementary players on this team. Even you know, even the year that CJ's having, he's having a career year. You know, he's having you know record setting year for the union, all that, and it's great. And I'm a big CJ guy, but even CJ is like a complementary player to me. I think he's a guy who will work better with another guy. You know, and You've just asked so much from all these guys that are, you know, B players, that are complementary players, that are guys that need another guy to be really good. And and, and th- th- that was the biggest crime. This this going into the going through the whole offseason, going into the into the beginning of the year. That was, I think, just the biggest crime this team committed. Well, I I, I agree with you in a sense, and I, I I take a slightly different perspective as well because I so I, I went back recently and looked at. Um, you know, what, what type of creativity the union had on the team last year. And I think Alberg and, and Herbers were both producing, you know, one key pass about every 60 minutes, mm-hmm. um, which isn't great, but was still some of the best, uh, some of the best, I think, outside of Tranquilo Barnetta, some of the best, um, you know, per 90 or, you know, per minute right. key pass stats on the union. And and so I can see the union going into the offseason saying, all right, there's a chance that Corvall is our, is our creative hub. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to have Bedoya and we're going to have this, uh, you know, Madunian able to sit back and spray the ball deep, which means we'll get into the opponent's half without having to go through midfield. Um, we've got, you know, really fast winger in Pico. So I, I can sort of see it. Um, I can I can sort of see the outlines of a plan. It, you know, it's a it's a sort of coin flip plan. It, it works if everything comes together. Um, and it obviously didn't. But but I, I feel like the real crime is, is even before that in the offseason, you know, saying, the, the emphasis was on a striker, right? Because they're saying, well, CJ didn't get our goals. If you really thought that CJ could get the goals, and I think Jim Curtin would, has gone on record and would go on record as many times as you want him to, saying he's the guy that believes in CJ and believes his ability to score, mm-hmm. then, then okay, you go, well, where else can we invest money in this team? And you look at what you've got and you say, well, CJ is not great at creating his own chances. In fact, he, just, he rarely does it. He doesn't, he doesn't create much for himself. He can create for others. Um, he can hold the ball up, but he's not going to be like um, you know a guy who's peeling out wide, finding space, and then taking people on. So, can you bring in someone who can facilitate his type of play? You know, someone who can sit behind him, spread the ball out, and then let CJ make those those runs to the near post to flick the ball in. Um, you know, you can you can go with that. Um, I think I think that's reasonable in the off season to to say that. Uh, and I, I think the same with a defensive midfielder. You you look at how they've had success now, it's supporting two guys who aren't defensive midfielders with a, you know, with a defensive midfielder. I think either way you can come up with a solution with the roster you have in the off season. And the union did neither of that. Um, they kind of moved the goalposts with the controlling midfielder. And what they came up with was a plan that was going to take a lot of work to make it work. And, uh, and it didn't. And uh, it's pretty clear that it didn't. And then, once it was clear that it wasn't working, they persisted with it anyway and didn't bring anyone else in or weren't prepared to bring anyone else in. Let's put it that way. Regardless of whether they did or not, they didn't seem to have anyone lined up 
even though they didn't have any sure things in the creative area. And I think that's, to, to me, that's the biggest crime is to say, um, we're going to take these chances and we realize that they are, you know, risky chances and we're not going to have a backup plan. Uh, our backup plan is to, to, you know, restart in 2018. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's the sort of thing where it's, it's a fine plan for a club long-term. And I think that's Ernie Stewart's perspective is, you know, long-term we've, we've lost the season, um, but we're in a good position to move forward. I think from a fan's perspective, it's frustrating and it's doubly frustrating to have the club sort of never really uh, admit that that is where they're at. Um, even if, even if, you know, it, you don't want to say to the players and all that, we're not really, you know, we're not really feeling the season right now, but it, it does, it does create this gulf between fans and management when management can't be straightforward about where things are at. Um, even though their actions suggest where they're at. Especially when you never like had that conversation, like where you, uh, where you look at with the Phillies and the Sixers, you know, the Sixers have been that a little longer where, yeah, you you had their respective front offices say, okay, we're tearing it down to the floorboards. We're dumping salary. We're playing. You know, we're going draft picks. We're going. In, you know, if you want to talk about the unit, we're going academy guys. We're gonna you know tear it down. We're gonna build a foundation, and then when we get to the point where we think it'll be competitive, we're gonna add on. You look at the Phillies; they're in a spot where they could start adding. You know, paying a little bit extra for pitching because they have really good young position players. You look at the Sixers. Right. You know, if you're Joel Embiid, cross your fingers, is healthy. Your 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 plan is kind of coming coming around. There was never that conversation. There was never that feeling that was going to happen. And 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 if it was going to happen, you look at moves like the Charlie Davies moves, where you lost what's going to be a high draft pick now to a player that really hasn't contributed. No, no. I mean, through no fault of his own, I guess, at least on the field, I, I practice or something. I, I, but, have, I mean, I have no idea. And yet, I'm not faulting the player at all in this situation. I mean, it, this is a situation that the that the team put themselves in. Right. No, and I, I mean, I, I think it's 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 doubly strange because you you also look at them being a playoff team last year and say, you know, they probably look at look at where they were and say we we are we were and are a bubble team, mm-hmm. and they're good. They're teams like Atlanta coming in who you don't know quite what they'll be like, but they are definitely going to, uh, you know, spend the money to be good. So if they're not good in 2017 they they would probably have been good in 2018. They will be now we know. Hmm. Um, and so, so you really, you look at where you were and where you are this year and, and it doesn't seem like they made moves to take a step forward. Um, they, they lost a lot of creativity and replaced it with a, you know, sort of a set piece specialist in Madunian who's not going to, not going to get into the final third that much. Um, you just—it's it, hard to see how they how they made moves that they thought would build on last year's success. Instead, it sort of seems like they they went sideways and hoped they went directly sideways. Mm-hmm. And instead, sort of went sideways and tripped over the sidewalk. So you would think we at least have another year, Jay Simpson. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, how can you keep him around? I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, this isn't a team that buys people out. I'm not even sure how that works in MLS. If, if I'm sure there's a way you can do it, but 
this is not a team that would do that. <laughs> There's not nothing that indicates to me that would they would do something like that. And he's sparing what happened with Freddie Adu, but that was like a whole other thing. Um, you know, th- that goes to what you said. Just they made moves that didn't quite jive with where they were, and that's I think that's the biggest one. And again, you know, no fault to the player, but I don't think he was put in a really good position to succeed with this team. Well, I, I mean, what, what would it, it's the sort of thing like what would success have been for him if if he has a year like CJ had this year? That's that's probably success, right? Yeah. So, yeah, double digit so goals. You, you got think. that. You want to call him a success because he pushed CJ to be a you know a better goal scorer? Then maybe maybe that is success. <laughs> um, you brought in someone to compete with CJ. I mean, that's that's good because yeah. apparently you didn't think Davies was going to push him. Um, yeah. At this at the same time, you just there, there's not much you can point to that suggests that Jay Simpson is the type of guy who's ever going to touch double digits in MLS. Um, you know, maybe there's something behind the scenes that the club knows that we don't, but there's certainly very little that we've seen on the field this year that suggests that, uh, which, which really means you, you just have a roster spot that's going to be taken up by a, you know, by a final 10 minutes type player, or burn the clock down guy. Yeah. And not only a roster spot, but a, pretty good chunk of your cap too yeah yeah and uh you know for for someone who really hasn't hasn't looked like the type of player that would succeed on the union unless they played in a way that got him a lot of chances in the box and mm-hmm. and it's i i guess that's that's the really concerning thing is you know they wanted to get more they wanted to get a you know a, a you know a box sniper a guy who would mm-hmm. finish those chances that that maybe they weren't doing last year and they you know, they haven't come close to controlling games to the extent where they could take advantage of a guy like that. You know, they don't create a high volume of shots um, from good positions. They, they, they just don't. Um, and, and you can see it where they've gotten their goals from. Uh, it's, it's often messy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not, you know, you don't, you don't bring a guy in to, to sweep up the messy stuff unless you're pretty sure that he's going to be able to do it consistently. Yeah. And they haven't really been good enough defensively to be kind of a grind out one nil kind of team where, you know, where you get these messy goals and then you can just, you know, park the bus and, and grind stuff out. They just haven't been that defensive team where on, you know, on the other end where you could do that. Well, that's, well so the, the defense is also a, you know, a weird thing to step back and look at because, because in the off season you, you hoped that they would be able to bring in a veteran leadership presence back there. Um, to, to sort of be a, you know, a constant maybe next to Josh Yarrow that seemed to be their plan was to say Yarrow is, is a player that we believe in mm-hmm. and we're going to give him support by, by bringing in someone with experience next to him. Um, the, the player they brought in, uh, Onyewu is, you know, no, no complaints about him as a person or as a leader. It seems like he has been someone who has tried his best to take players under his wing and do that sort of thing. But he's, he's definitely a player with as many limitations as any of the young guys. Um, and they're, they're clear limitations and he, he's not a guy that's going to help settle the back line. I, I think that's, that's kind of the problem that they've had is that by being, bringing in a veteran presence, maybe they got the locker room presence they wanted out of him, but he, he doesn't offer you any, he doesn't offer any relief to the young guys. You know, he's not going to be the one that's, that's covering for you. He's not, hasn't done a great job pulling the line up, keeping the line um, high on the field to, to get some offsides, generate some offsides. We're still seeing, you know, Marquez, Elliott, Yarrow, all giving up lots of space in the back. So, so it's, 
in general, it seems like there have been a lot of backfires or mm-hmm. at least um, a lot of things haven't gone the way the union would have hoped. And, and it's, you just have to hope they learn from it, I guess, because it, it, it seems as though right now they are in a place where it's going to be difficult without, without going the Toronto or Atlanta route where you spend a lot of money on some game changers. It's going to be difficult to compete next year. Yeah, and that's the thing. I personally think they've put themselves, you know, and under a lot of pressure, the front office, to have just a really, really, really good offseason. They may think otherwise. As you said, they, you know, they think of this as a project, or, or they seem to at least that, you know, like you said, they could burn a season if it helps them two seasons down the road. So maybe they don't feel that pressure to put out, to, to go out there and just, you know, hit a home run in this offseason and bring in a DP or bring in just somebody that's really impactful, somebody that's a difference maker. Um, I, I don't know. I think they should. I think they need to. I think you're starting to see, you know, some cracks in your fan base. Uh, you know, some real discontent. I, I hope they're seeing the cracks in the yeah. fan base. I mean, you know, you're, you're seeing I some. I see them whenever I read a post. I think this is the 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 most uh, disaffected, and this is saying something, the most disaffected this fan base may, may have ever been. And maybe the last, yeah. Sikovic's last year, but I think this is a little worse because a lot of people thought, okay, things are going to, we, we're turning a corner, we're heading to 2.0, we're, we're, we're changing, we're going to catch up with the rest of the league now, we're, we're you know, these things are going to happen, and they haven't quite happened, and I think the fans are kind of looking around like, well, you know, we're kind of the same. It was all we've always been, just kind of different people telling us different things. Yeah, and I, you know what I, I, I think I still trace part of that back to to sort of the the messaging that went out last off season, where where at the end of the year, you know, sort of like the conversation we're having right now with the number ten. Last off season, it was it seemed as though. Um, it was pretty clear where the where the big needs were. You definitely needed someone in the back. Um, you probably needed a defensive midfielder if you want to keep playing the way you were. Um, and you you needed someone who's going to score goals. If you thought that was CJ, then you could probably fill in an attacking midfield position or a goal scoring winger position, and you know bring in Pico, who I think has five or six goals this year, maybe five. Um, you know that that helps. Although he's been far from consistent, and certainly doesn't help your possession game. Um, I think I think it goes back to the messaging where the the club really did make it seem as though they were. I don't think you talked to fans who thought that the club was going to end up doing what they did. I, I think that it really did seem as though they were going out looking for a big name striker or at least someone who could produce goals regularly, and that they were committed to shoring up the defense. and 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 they really didn't do either of those things. I mean, they they stumbled into Jack Elliott, which I mean, stumbled into that was a great draft pick. But no, <laughs> I, you can't. If if anyone tells you they expect him to play this year, then I I would you know very subtly do the cough cough word <laughs> I can't say on the radio. <laughs> so well, we're I think, I think with some you know stuff, the, but... the fan base is definitely disaffected, but I don't you know it's one of those things where you could say well the fans need to calm down and give them time, and that that may be true, but I also think a big part of it comes from the club not being willing to say this is you know this is sort of the terms of the deal if you want long term success it's going to hurt for a while. Mm-hmm. Instead, they, they acted like we're going to build on last year's playoff appearance, and they didn't. And honestly, one, one thing I want to talk about with you is that, you know, you talk about Madunian and being a guy to keep around, and that I'm not, I'm not so sure that's 
that's the way to go. In fact, I would right now I'm leaning towards uh, saying that I think you're actually better moving on from Harris Medunina at this point. With with no offense to the player who has who has definitely been a guy who proved do you he can th- play in MLS. Because you think he has value and you could get something for him, or do you think he's he could be blocking players behind him? Uh, I, I think I think he probably has value, and I think additionally he's um he's what he's thirty one. Thirty two, yeah, yeah, thirty thirty. Thirty two, I think thirty one, thirty two, but in that range, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, you know, once you pass thirty, you tell people whatever you want it. <laughs> That's something I've learned too. Yeah, but, I'm, but I'm, I think he's a. I stick around thirty five myself, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just think that he's a player with with um. He, he makes you play a certain way. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that's going to, you know, slow you down a little bit, but he's going to help you play a good possession game uh, to the extent that you can get him forward into good positions. Um, it means you're going to be playing a lot of long balls and you're going to have to defend after those long balls, keep the ball in the other team's half. And if you look at the union roster, you, you don't, you don't see a roster built to do that. Um, and I think when you look at Alejandro Bedoya, you see a, a more mobile guy. And if you can, Complement him with mobility. I think you have a you know a much better look behind CJ Spong, who you have to assume is coming back as the lead mm-hmm. striker next year. Um, and I, I think that's that's a more productive way to go than sticking with Madunian, who who you know has had his moments defensively, but also really struggles um, to to figure out the defense. His zonal marking, he is way off people. He doesn't get anywhere close to the guy in the ball a lot of the time. And I think you have to really ask questions about whether um, whatever you're building towards with Bedoya is uh, is sort of the the future that includes Madunian in as well. Yeah, and that's the thing. And we talked about this before. That that center triangle is what you really need to sort out. And now they've they've flipped it around the last couple games, but it's still that 3. And they've never they haven't really figured that out all year. So that's they have to figure that out for next year. Yeah, I mean they they've never figured that out and it it, it makes it more difficult uh to analyze and figure out what the real problems are elsewhere on the field, you yeah. know. If if you have that solid midfield triangle, you can say, well, given given the talents of these guys, we want to fill in, you know, wingers who are more defense-minded and can really, you know, push the ball to the center, or wingers who are going to be like Pico and be able to break quickly off of turnovers and, you know, get hit on the run by Madunian. And, and we can get fullbacks who want to go forward or fullbacks who don't. The union have four fullbacks, you know, some of whom, two of whom really like to get forward and two of whom uh, get forward sometimes but aren't really sure quite what to do when they're up there. And I think once you figure out that triangle and how you want it to shape the game, it 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 guides you to the type of players you want some of those other positions. And right. I, I think that was probably a big reason Jim Curtin was reluctant to switch to, to invert his triangle is that um, that triangle does tell you a lot about what the rest of your team right. should be doing and the type of players you want in those roles. Well, you build up the middle. I mean, that's what they always say, but uh, we'll start wrapping it up soon. I'll ask you about another player uh, on this team, Chris Pontius. Uh, do you, do you see a scenario where he comes back? I, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to LA, but mm-hmm. my, my, I guess if LA doesn't 
doesn't take him away, he could come back. Um, I don't, I don't know how you can look at him as a player that you want being a regular locked in starter next season. Yeah. But he's a guy like Albert, where if, if you have Pontius on your bench, that is a great player to bring in when you're chasing goals because he'll, uh, you know, sort of unlike Albert, he'll put in the defensive effort and he's just, he's great in the air. He really is. I mean, you can target him on nearly every set play and, and he wins way more than you would expect. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's excellent. No, I, his aerial I, stats you know, are, are, are great. And they, they have been for the last two years. And, yeah, I've, I totally forgot about the expansion draft coming up, and he's a he's a California guy, an LA guy, so you would think that kind of makes sense for all involved that he would be able to go uh, go home. Um, my other feeling is that Curtin has a little bit of a blind spot for him, and, and he he's a guy that I think Curtin really relies on. Probably he's a guy he's known from the league for a long time, and is a guy I think he feels like he trusts out there. You know? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, 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 I get the feeling, you know, I think it's 80, 20, he's gone, but that 20 is, is kind of strong because I think, I think the coaching staff really, really likes Chris. And there's a lot to like about him. I mean, he's a good locker room guy. He's a quality guy. I mean, he's got one goal this year and he just got it. I, I wouldn't have banked on him going most of the year with no goals. I, I you know, I didn't think he was going to get 12 again, but I didn't think he was going to get, you know, go for most of the year with a goose egg either. Yeah. And I think, I think his expected goals number from uh, American soccer analysis.com was, was around 3.2, mm-hmm. 3.25 when he scored uh, against Chicago for the year. So, I mean, even I think last year it was around eight or nine and right. he had 12 goals. So he was, he was, you know, kind of potentially due for a little bit of regression, but this year, I mean, he, even if he, even though he didn't score, it's not like he had been generating a ton of really good chances and not scoring. You know, he was three goals behind where he should be. He's probably around four something expected goals now, and he's got two. So now it doesn't look so weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, it's a partially a thing in perspective. But but I, I guess let, let me ask you this: looking at assuming that Pontius goes, you've got a couple guys that you're pretty sure will come back, and I, I'd say it's Bryce Apong and. Bedoya as, as major pieces, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe Pico, I feel like he's made a good impression, but I don't know if you want him to be a lock-in starter either. Right. What, what type of team do you build around those guys? And, and, you know, I was looking back at some, some quotes from Jim Curtin and Ernie Stewart over the year, and, and it does seem like they've been pretty clear about their, their notion of what an identity for this team is. And it's that Philly blue collar identity and producing players who can play for the U S national team are the two things that they seem to bring up consistently. Um, and so given that you have Sapong, who's a guy who, you know, is just sort of beyond the fringe of the national team and Bedoya, a guy who's mm-hmm. probably uh, rounding out his, his time as a regular contributor to the U S national team. What, what type of team do you build around those guys that you can build with, you know, anyone who's, you know, going to be available from the U S team or guys you might want to bring in who are a few steps away. I and mean, what do you, what do you do? And those are the two guys that you can say, we're pretty sure we're going to build around. That's 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 an interesting question. Um, I, I I get worried when they start talking the Philly tough stuff because you just get a feeling they're going to get guys that can just go out there and kick people. Right. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's like, like a like when you bring in you know a, a fourth liner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you just you just worry about that. Um, I, I I'd like to see them just go. 
more towards you know go go for skilled guys. They need there, there's a dearth of technical ability on this team. There, there's a dearth of kind of real real skill on this team. Basically, um, I, I think that those are the type of players they need. I think if you put a real you know cultured skilled midfielder out there behind a CJ Sapon, he could probably get to that 15, 16 goals a lot easier than he did this year. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You, you got to think a guy like, you know, a guy we haven't talked about, kind of the, the Fabian Herbers, I think has real promise. Who I think, you know, came into camp as ready as anybody if you listen to the coaching staff and I think, you know, can create for you and, you know, he can create for you and he has has a nose for goal. And, yeah, I think, and I think I, Herbers I, I, is a guy that, that when you say, you know, Pontius is weaving. Yeah. It, it softens the blow. Oh yeah, yeah. He's 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 the most natural. I think I still say Herbers was the guy that made uh, Latou expendable because they saw a guy that was younger, faster, more skilled at that that could do the things that Latou was doing. So I think he was yeah. the guy, and I think he he probably makes a if he's healthy, if he's ready to go, he he he's going to make Pontius expendable. Yeah, and, and I, you know I think that's fair. I think I think he makes Pontius expendable in sort of the the sense that you expect Pontius to be. <laughs> Become less of a you know a constant starter in the future, yeah. you know as he winds down. I think, I think Herbers is probably a guy that you don't want to you know you don't want to write his name in ink on your lineup card uh-huh. every week yet. Um, but but I think that he's he's a guy that definitely fits with that that Philly identity that they're saying they want to they want to build. Um, yeah, piss, piss, he ha- absolutely. He has that kind of endless running ability that a guy like Latou has. That you know some of the other guys that kind of pass through his team, but. You put on top of his playmaking ability and his, you know, and his touch around goal. And I think you could, he's a guy, if he's healthy next year, I could see him having a really breakout year. Dep- again, depending on kind of what goes on around him, but I could see him being a guy that, you know, you could slot up top in a pinch if you wanted to, that you could, you know, deploy out on the right and be really comfortable with. And hopefully Keegan's going to. You know, step up and come back, and having those two really combine really well and play very well together. Uh, you know, if if Herbers can you know get stays healthy, I think he's a guy that, that that's going to be a big part of this team next year. Yeah, I, you know, you bring up a, a really interesting thing that's that's been on my mind. And I don't have an answer to this, so I'm, I'm going to regret bringing it up, but I'll, <laughs> I'll make you answer instead. Sure. But but uh, you know, Rosenberry clearly took a you know took a step back, or at least didn't take a step forward this year. Uh, You've, you've seen far more of his of his faults than his um, you, you know his attributes over the course of the season, and and there's there's really no reason to call any to call Giuliano Wijnaldum anything more than a replacement level player after um, after the season, which means which isn't to sort of knock him, but to say that what he's contributed is is not something that you would have trouble going out and finding within MLS, you know, and and so I think especially when you look at Andre Blake being the guy most likely to be to be sold on the team in the off season by mm-hmm. the team in the off season this team might might need to go out and get a, a number 10 get a creative player and spend money there but they really need to spend money on the defense or yeah. and they need to go get not not experienced guys like Oguchi Onyewu but experienced guys who are who are going to be able to contribute uh you know over the course of the season every every game um a couple fullbacks who who you can stick in there and, you know say they're not great but they're going to they're not going to uh, you know, make um, the sort of errors that we've been used to seeing Phillies fullbacks make. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you, you need to go out and solidify that defense. Um, you need to cut ties with the guys who aren't improving and you need to uh, find the guys who are improving and really encourage them to make a step forward because if they don't, you know, this defense can't go back out there next year without an Andre Blake type shot stopper behind them and, and keep you in the playoff picture. You just need to, you need to be really rough with that defense and say, how do we, how do we turn this into a defense that doesn't rely so heavily on our goalie? Um, that's, that's to me, that's every bit as important as, as bringing in a number 10. Yeah. I mean, I know the goals are way down this year and the defense is about the same, but when you look at, when you look at uh, taking Blake out of that equation and, um, and sort of the lack of progress being made by the rest of the back line, you, you got to have real questions going forward. Yeah. And, and McCarthy played well in Blake's absence, but you know, you stretch it over 30 games you're not going to get, I think what you, you know, John's a fine guy. You're not going to get what you need out of him. I don't think at this point. Well, you, I, it's just another case where you, I mean, you got to be sure. Like he's another, mm-hmm. he's another player who there's, there's a chance he'll break out, Yeah, but it's not a big chance. And, and acting like that small chance is what you're relying on, which is sort of what, what the union have done in the past. They said, you know, we think El Sino, we think Alberg, you know, we think they're ready to take this next step, and we think they can really contribute. And and, and you, you know, and you have a real. I think you sh- you should have a legitimate concern about Jack Elliott. I think Jack's probably a great year. They talked about him. You know, he's in the rookie year conversation, all that. He is a lower draft pick. You are concerned a guy like that regresses. You know, kind of regresses back. And I'm not saying he is or isn't, but I think that should be in your back of your mind that you you, if that happens, you have some cover for it. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've got this great situation with Jack Elliott, and it's, it's kind of similar to what they had with Ken Tribbett, but, but a bit better, where, where you have a young guy who, you know, made a lot of mistakes and also did a whole lot of, whole lot of good in his, you know, rookie season. Mm-hmm. But you can, you can go through his tape and you can see that there are a lot of flaws in his game. And it would just be, it would be wonderful if they could take a guy like Elliott and put him in Bethlehem now that he's been in MLS and knows sort of, has a feel for what he has to improve. Mm-hmm. Give him time to develop and bring in someone who can who can actually fill that role, so that Elliot isn't trial by fire. And and he hasn't trial by fire. And then when you hear Jim Curtin say we don't want to just throw guys like Adam Najem or Derek Jones, you know, into the MLS fire, you go well. You probably don't want to keep doing with that with Elliot either, right. because there are definite holes in his game that could be addressed if you take him down a level and let him you know, let everything, you know, progress very slowly for him. You know, the game at USL level is going to look much different for him mm-hmm. now that he's been in MLS for a year and give him that time to develop, bring in someone, not a 35 year old, you know, no offense to, to Gooch, but someone who you can rely on week in, week out. And you're not worried about the injuries catching up and give, give Elliot some development time, give him some space. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, uh, that, that, that's, <laughs> I don't think enough people are talking about the defense, honestly, and I think a lot of people are pointing at the offense and and and, and hello and all that. But yeah, you're right, and and Blake just covers up so many so many of the problems with the defense. And I was watching some of the highlights, and he had you know another game with great saves against Atlanta. I mean, and you know three got by him, but you know that was just because they were getting peppered. But you take away that you know supernatural shot stopping ability. And this okay young defense looks a lot, you know, a lot, you know, 
more rickety than it you know than it does right now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Basically, you're if you think you might lose Blake, you need to act like you're going to lose Blake when you make the defense. You know, because even if you don't lose him in the off season, if he plays like he did this year, someone's going to come looking for him again, and you know maybe this time he gets his work permit and he can go. You know, because it's clear at this point, at least that teams, you know, good teams are willing to pay good money for him mm-hmm. if they can if they can get him out to where they play. Um, and I, I think you know I think there's an argument to be made for yeah if you improve the midfield and brought in a creator and took some of the the constant pressure off the defense that would also help them. Um, but I think it's it's pretty clear at this point that just in terms of working the ball out of the back and being able to move it around, you have a defense that that week to week you can't you can't be sure they're going to be able to do that. Um, and I, I think some of that's changed with the the, the change in shape of the midfield. They've been able to get more support on the wings. Yeah. But but you still I, I mean you are really you're just taking another huge chance if you stick with the same the same back four. Or something similar going into next season, and and at what point, at what point do you have to you know go for sure things? Um, I think that's sort of the the question, the point where the fan base and the the ownership group or Ernie Stewart separate a little bit is what that time frame is. Hmm. I think we'll wrap it up on that. We have a game coming up at Seattle who are kind of an up and down team, I guess, right now. Um, coming into PPL Park, I'm sure they need a road trip at this point in the season, you know, cross country road trip at this point in the season, like they need a hole in the head. But uh, here we are. They'll be here. They'll be here at one o'clock on Sunday, an NFL uh, kickoff time for the Union uh, National TV, too, I believe. Um, when, when do the Eagles play this weekend? Are, are we going to see a fairly empty? Uh, they're actually they're they're actually playing. Uh, they're playing against the Galaxy. I mean, they're playing against uh, the Chargers at the uh, at the uh, uh, oh, no way. StubHub. Yeah, so they're they're on the other coast. Um, the Union could actually have more fans than the Eagles have. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's possible. It's, it's, it's definitely possible. Um, so wow. uh, yeah, we could do a prediction. Um, let's let's do what, what prediction do you think Mike would make if he was here? Mike would. Oh God, Mike would probably say one one. I think. You think one one? I think that's what Mike <laughs> would say. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Mike would say five five zero Union. <laughs> five zero Union. Wow. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna impugn his character right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go two nothing Union because for all their faults, and we've gone over quite a few of them in the last you know, forty minutes or so. Uh, they they can put it together at home sometimes, and they can get stuff kind of kick clicking on all cylinders. And this is you know a really early game for Seattle coming across country. You know, kind of having a kind of scrappy year that they're having. Uh, you know, I I could see Seattle see Seattle not being totally up for this game. So I, I could see like a two nothing for the Union. Yeah, and you know, I, I think I think you know we we have been hard on the Union, and uh, you know I think probably deservedly so. But but also the the one thing that you can say about Jim Curtin, absolutely, I think, and Ernie Stewart says this, and I you know I have no reason not to believe it, is that he is a very good he is a very good man manager. He is a very good mm-hmm. um, you know guy at motivating players, even when it's hard to find. The, the way to motivate them or hard to find a reason to get going in the morning. You know, I, I, we're going on a year and a half now where the union haven't really looked like a, like a team that was going to challenge for anything. Mm-hmm. And yet every week um, you do get, 
you know, at least for half an hour, at least for a bit until things start to fall apart, you get a team that looks like they, uh, they're out there to compete. And I, you know, I, I salute them for that. And I salute him for being able to, to produce that, uh, given the, given all the, the lack of progress the, the club has made more generally. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get on board with you. I'll say two, one union. Um, I think, I think Seattle can probably put one in, but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see Andre Blake grab a three, grab three points. Yeah. That'd be nice. Uh, all right, Adam, I want to thank you very much for, uh, hanging out with me tonight and, uh, talking yeah, a little bit. Yeah, uh, for sure. So, uh, thanks uh, everybody for listening. We'll catch everybody next week.